0: I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with someone that kind of um, altered your direction, right? What you were gonna do. Um, for me, I have multiple conversations historically that I can look at my life, in the trajectory of my life and think about it. Of course, the first one is my mother who um, reminded me, and my mom was uh, uh, not highly religious, Um, But if you grew up in my home, there was always this blonde-eyed, blue-eyed picture of Jesus on the wall, Um, this big old white Bible that nobody took to church that was open, you know, right at Psalms, and there was a rosary and a couple of candles just to remind us of our faith. But Mom always told me that whatever I did was going to come back to, right? You can can finish the sentence, right? (laughs) She used a different vernacular, but she, she always said that whatever I did was going to come back around and kind of get me later, right? And, and then that, that kind of resonated for me because what, what began to happen in my life, I began to realize that there were things that, um, you know, the sowing and reaping concept, right? Like, that the, whatever I did, you know, you should expect that in return, right? And we, and we know the sowing and reaping, right? There's a lot of people that want to be loved, but they hate everybody, yeah. Right? You know, there's a lot of people that, that want to accomplish things, but, but they're constantly not doing anything, right? So it's just hoeing and reaping is a big deal. It's a principle that's found in the Bible, but it's also in life, right? Um, so what I remember, and in, in, I think I was, I don't know, I dropped out of high school, so I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. I think I was 14. I literally dropped out of high school. Like, I was, you know, I, 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 was, I was bad. <laughs> like, you know, I was smoking, I'd rather be outside than inside, and I you know, was already involved in gangs and, and, and stuff like that. I was, living, I was growing up in Bushwick in the 70s. If, again, I'm aging myself, but it was 1974 you know, when I dropped out of high school. But before dropping out of high school, there was this teacher who, at that time, wore these bell bottoms. Uh, he had a wire ring. I still remember this guy must have weighed 115 pounds wet. But he walked with this confidence. And I remember one day he stopped me in the hallway and he said, I hear you're a tough guy. I kind of sized him up, and I figured, how fast can I slap this guy, you know, and run out the <laughs> building? And 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 he told me, he says, if if you're a tough guy, read this book. I, I felt insulted because the guy's trying to say what? Because I'm Spanish, I live in the ghetto, I don't know how to read. I like, what's up with you, right? But he told me, read this book. Now, I had, I'm, I grew up in a Puerto Rican home, right? So the big deal for us every year was the parade. Anybody remember? Now, in the 70s, it was lit. Now it's a little commercial, everybody's politicizing, but it was lit back then. Like, you, it was like a three day celebration Puerto Rican Day Parade, we're on fire, everybody's going to it. I'm wearing my bandanas, my colors, like everything about Puerto Rico, but I knew nothing about my people. Nothing. Like what I knew was the guys playing dominoes on the corner, the social clubs, right, the, the having the multiple girlfriends. That's what I knew. But this guy stopped me, and he put a book in front of me. He says, read this book. And it was a history of Puerto Rico. It changed me. A simple conversation with this guy changed me. It took me on a journey of learning. It took me on a trajectory that changed everything for me because I realized that there were things I did not know. And I just devoured that book and I came back to him. I said, Yo, give me another book. Give me another book. He says, No. He gave me another book. And he kept providing me with books. Now, mind you, I still dropped out at 14. I still left, right? I left school. A couple of years later, I got my GD. As a direct result of this guy having a conversation with me, I'm sure that many of you here have had conversations with people who right now you're thinking, man, I'm grateful that this person told me this, not only about me, but about the world, and things around me. I'm grateful that this person stopped and have a conversation. Now, I can tell a lot from a conversation with someone, right? Now, you can have a conversation one-on-one. You can have a conversation in a larger, you know, group. But the point is that you can begin to tell a lot about a person by how they are conversing with you, right? The eye contact, the sitting up, the the finishing their sentences, their heart behind what they're saying, their credibility. You can see a lot in a conversation with someone. And you've had them. You've had these conversations. Some of them have been difficult. Some of have been conversations like, yo, I don't love you no more. Get out of here. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> what happened? Right? But sometimes it's a conversation with a doctor, who despite the fact that someone's told you stop doing this behavior for a long time, you've neglected it, and now, you have to wait for the doctor to tell you. Conversations are a great exchange. There's a giving and there's a taking. And today we're going to look at a conversation that we're going to be like a fly on the wall. We're going to eavesdrop and see the people in this conversation and the conversation they have it and what it's going to do. Now listen, conversations historically have been significant. They have changed the what we do, the way we think, the way we feel. And in this conversation today, conversation is a conversation with Jesus, the conversations that Jesus have with people. When you look at the scriptures, um, um, it's just mind-blowing. It changed them then, then, and it's still changing us today. Like that is the profundity of what he says. Like he said this then, and still to this day, we're still writing this out. I want to invite you to this conversation. It's found in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. It's a long reading. Normally, we stand up. I want you just to sit in your seats, and I want you to pay attention. I, I've asked you to silence your phone, and I heard something go, ding ding, 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 already, okay? Let's try to avoid as many distractions as we can at the moment, right? That means that you have to be totally engaged in this moment. To lean in, okay? It's a conversation that Jesus is having. It starts out like this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I'll read that again. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asks. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. Do you not understand these things? Lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Verse 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the reading of God's word. Amen and amen. Like I said, this is a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, and it's so important that we identify this, because when we talk about born again, the the tendency of the Christendom is is to identify those who are born again, right? Normally, you know, uh, when I first thought about church when I was growing up and watching passing by these storefront churches, I felt that church was for losers. I felt it was for people who couldn't get a grasp on their lives, I felt that it was for people who were like really warped, right? No one here, right? Like really messed up folk, right? They must have done something really, 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 really bad to now have to run into church to find solace. But that's not the case here, is that? When we look at this guy, it says a Pharisee. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, part of the ruling class of that time, it says that he was in the Jewish council, right? So this guy had a moral code. This guy, if anything, he already had it going on. Like, if anybody you want to be like, if you're growing up in that time, you want to be like this guy because this guy not only has money, he has a position, he has his prestige, he has power, like, this guy has it going on. This guy didn't use drugs, <laughs> This guy didn't kill anybody. This guy didn't run off and, and cheat everybody or, or rob from everybody. Like this guy uh, uh, teaches me that even if you have everything in life and have nothing in life, even if you think that you're good and if you think that you're bad, this born-again experience is a universal call for everybody. There are no exceptions. Everybody needs to be born again. All roads don't lead to heaven. So we have to be mindful of this thing, that this conversation he's having with him, he's letting them know, he says, Nicodemus, like you who are so good, you according to what you think about your title and about your lifestyle and your moral call and your religion, Jesus literally stops, pokes him in the chest and says, you need to be born again too. (laughs) See, like, I'm all messed up, and I know I'm all messed up. When I came to Jesus, I had to recognize that I needed a Savior. First and foremost, I need to identify the fact that I am a sinner, and sinning is not killing, murdering, and raping. Sinning is living life apart from God. That is the fruit of you living apart from God. We have to understand that. And when people think about sin, they think about these big sins. But let me tell you something. Your bad attitude is a sin. Your self-righteousness is a sin. Your sense of entitlement is a sin. Like, all these things that we think about, we go, oh, sin is murder. No, listen to me. You can kill someone without sticking a knife in them. Is that correct? <laughs> we can. <laughs> you know, backbiting and murmuring slandering, slander libel, all these things that we do. I mean, social media is present for that, right? Like, like, social media is a big deal. Everybody's tough on social media. Everybody. Everybody's tough on social media. Right? You're, you're far away. you can call me anything you want. <laughs> right? That's why I'm not on social media. No I, no Instagram, no fake. I don't need that stuff. Don't need that stuff I got enough drama in my life. But I want you to see something here that Nicodemus had something. he had religion but not a relationship. And he had all this stuff going on in his life, but there's still a void because he comes to find out, what must I do? There's another story in in, in Matthew chapter 19. You won't see it on the screen, but it's a story of a rich young ruler It says this. Now, now, I'm going to go to verse 16. Write it down, please. If you're in this room, you should have something to write with, something to write in. We have a sermon map in the bulletin for you. Don't sit here thinking you're going to remember everything I said. I'm speaking too fast. It's important for you to write something down. I don't want to forget, this is life-changing, life-transforming. At least it is for me. And if anything I want to do is I want to change, I can't stay the same. Amen? But, but, but it's something here It says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what, could, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Again, this issue of eternal life is a big deal. I'll talk a little bit more about it later, but just be mindful that this thought here, this young man came and look what he goes on and said. Jesus tells him this. Why do you call me good? Remember this. No one is good. No one is good. But one that is, is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So the guy goes on and says, he lists the commandments to them. Honor your mother and father, thou shalt not kill, you know, adultery, murder, all that stuff. The young man says, whoa, I've done all that since my youth. And then he goes on and tells him, okay, you've done all that, that's good. Now, be mindful that he's trying to enter the kingdom of God based on the works that he has done. I've done all this, so therefore, that's my ticket. Let me get in. Jesus now flips it on him and says, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have. (laughs) Now, again, he has a conversation with Nicodemus. Now he's had a conversation with this young man. Let me tell you what the young man did. He left. He left. He left. Could have change his life? I'm sure it changed his life because at this point, what Jesus is saying, uh, go and, and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. In other words, don't sell it and now put the bank, you know, put it in the bank for yourself. He says, no, nah, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, let me tell you something. There is a special place in the heart of God for the poor. And no matter what we try to do, As a government, you have to understand that Jesus himself said the poor will always be with us. You know what the poor does for a person who's been transformed? It keeps us humble, and it keeps us in service. Because I know for a fact that there, for the grace of God, go I. And some of us in this room, we get clean, we get picked up, we get a job, we get a little girl, we get this, we get that, and we forget where we came from. You become uppity. You you, you move out of the ghetto. Right? You move out of the ghetto, but somehow you need to come back and flash your car, flash your gold. Just to remind us that you made it, but you're still empty because you're not considering the plight of another. Like, Like I think about that. So this young man, that's a conversation he had, he's got. In, in John chapter 4, there's another conversation that he has with a woman at the well. You remember the conversation? Now, this woman was all messed up. Like, she lived an immoral life. Like, she, was, she had multiple relationships. In fact, the guy that she was married to wasn't an her husband. And, and she would come, you know, to, to draw from the well when there's nobody around. So she'd been marginalized, stigmatized. She'd been looked down on. That, that's me. So, so this born-again need is for me, but it's also for Nicodemus. For the person in this room who thinks that they're good, you're not good. There's no one good except God. We can do good deeds, but we don't know what those good deeds, unless we go to the one that is good, to show us what good deeds look like. See, because we have to do the right things for the right reasons. And some of us are still doing right things for the wrong reasons because there is an interest we want, and we want a a return on our investment. So if I give you, I'm waiting for you to give me back. Is that what God does? Does God give you so you can give him back? Now, Now, just understand that when we have an offering service here, that's a part of our worship. It's not about your money because it's not your money. It's God's money. Right? And we're supposed to be a steward of it, right? So we have to learn how to do it. A lot of people struggle with that part. When I first came in, I grew up during the times of Reverend Ike. Uh, that, that, that just went over some of you guys' heads, right? Like, if you don't know who Reverend Ike is, Reverend Ike was this, you know, the, this preacher on radio. He, he would just say, yo, send me your SSI check. Send me your, you know, like, like, like he would just go off, you know? It was always like naming and claiming. Like he would be on fire and people would be sending money. People broke, living in the street, eating out of cans, sending him money. This is not about money. It's about worship and understanding that God has given you something to care for your needs and you have to learn how to manage it. Manage it. I don't longer buy expensive stuff. I don't. I don't. I've learned J.C. pennies and Clipping Coupons. And knowing the price is still going up and asking for a discount. (laughs) It's, It's not right, because listen to me. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And vanity, in a conversation, me and you, vanity speaks about your insecurity. You're still seeking an identity. I found my identity in Christ. You can find your identity in Christ. And it's birthed out of this place of humility. And this conversation he's having with him, he goes on and he tells him, he says, hey, This is what it is. You have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, I don't understand this. And he he just pokes at him and says, how can you not understand it? You've been teaching this for a long time and you don't understand what I'm saying? And then he goes on to say this whole idea of being born of water and the spirit. Listen to me. The water and the spirit reflect the fact that baptism is part and coupled into this walk in our lives, right? Many in this room have been baptized. Some of us uh, were, were, were sprinkled. You know, when, you know, when we were younger, I was also, uh, I don't know my godparents. I don't know who they are. I met them twice. They gave me a quarter, rubbed my head, and sent me on my way. That's all I remember about them. Come on, man. I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest, right? Like, like, they had a party, and in a the party, they had a fight. Like, I'm told these stories because my mother tells me the stories, right? And then she'll tell me, oh, your godfather was a bum. I said, why'd you pick him? Why'd you pick him? Like, really? Now, I, by the grace of God and my new birth in Christ, I currently, and, and my wife could speak better into this, I think I'm godfather to about going to 16, 17 kids. Okay? Now, that's not me, that's God. Like, quite honestly, you know, I had a kid jumping on my bed one day in my house, just jumping on my bed. I said, Why is this kid jumping on my bed? And my wife says, That's your godchild. I said, Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I really don't like kids that way, you know what I mean? But, but really, it's a testament to what God is doing in a person's life that now someone is saying, and this is the significance of being a godparent, that I'm now gonna prompt you to follow Jesus. And if God forbid something happens, i got to take care of your kids. So I'm telling you, please stay alive. Please stay alive. Okay? Let me go first. <laughs> All right? But like, like, I just, God is doing this. And, and this new birth in us, baptism is so significant because in baptism, the significance of it is that there is a new birth that happens, right? There is this full immersion where you go down and the old you is supposed to die and the new you is supposed to re- resurrect. Everybody understand that? That's in a nutshell. That's what it is. Being born of the Spirit is you actually confessing the fact that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, has done what he's done, and will return for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a people who persevere, a people who stay the course, a people who realize in their hearts and minds, because our faith is not a mindless faith, guys. Our faith is not mindless. We don't walk around like robots. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. It doesn't work that way. We're not robots. We're human beings trying to navigate this great terrain called life. And I don't know about you, but I need help. I need help every single day, every single moment every single moment i was i was recording something the other day and i was in my car and i had the thing all set up and i'm recording this beautiful thing i'm saying all these nice things as soon as you probably heard it right and i was i was saying all these nice things and all of a sudden somebody tapped my car and i went off <laughs> not not realizing that i was being recorded <laughs> when i realized i said oh you guys must have heard that <laughs> Why? Because I need help. I need help. And if you're sitting here thinking you don't need help, then you think you're good. And based on the scripture, there's nobody good. But here's the, 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 the critical thing here for this, about being born again. This whole idea of being born again comes from this place. So there are a couple of questions I want to answer, right? We answered the first one. Who is this for? It's for everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Everyone needs to be born again. The next thing is, I want you to just put on your hats for a moment because I want to take you down this thing to explain to you where does it come from? Where does this born again? Where does this salvation come from? Okay. Now, I want to take us to Revelations chapter twenty-one, verses one through five. Okay, this is important for us to look at. I want to be able to be clear as I go into answering this question: Where does it come from? Okay. Revelations chapter twenty-one, verse one through five. Obviously, you have to understand a couple of things, right? One is, is that Genesis to Revelation is this great arc of the history of humanity. So we're marching somewhere. Okay? Everybody got that? So the Greeks believe this, and, and I, I, I'm just going to try my best here in drawing things. So if it doesn't look a complete circle, please bear with me. Okay? So the Greeks believe that life was cyclical. Did I spell it right? Yes. Yeah right the stoics these are the greeks they believe that there was this spiritual perfection that happened right and then there was this corruption that took place sounds familiar okay so they believe in this spiritual perfection and then even they understood that there was something wrong that 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 the things that were happening were not supposed to be happening but they also believe that things will be solved by this fire. They interacted with these gods, who, by the way, were the cause of corruption. Following me so far? Like Zeus was a pervert. Straight up. Right? Like he disguised himself and came down and had intercourse with women. Human women. And created these half gods, half You following me? Come on, you guys watch Hercules. Come on now. You guys are looking at me like, wow, we're learning this in church? Yeah, you have to understand that there are other beliefs out there. They also believe that after this fire, there will be this rebirth. Okay? That's what they believe. Now, this is what they believe constantly kept happening over and over again, that history is this whole circle thing. All right? Everybody got this? Okay, So enter now the scriptures And the scriptures, like anything When we look at life We look at life in a timeline Right? Is that correct? Like we were born and then we're moving, right? It's linear, we're moving towards a particular direction We're moving towards uh, an end Right? Like where most of us Are closer to death than we are to birth Right? The scriptures talk about creation Right? Everything's perfect And then we have this thing called fall. Anybody remember what happened here? Man was disobedient. God said, do this, and they did what they wanted. That's not happening today, is it? Really? Okay. So then there's this part here where it's called redemption. Right? Buying back. Right? To be able to be people free. Pay a debt. Everybody understand that? Okay. And then over here, there's this renewal that is supposed to take place. Everybody know that? Okay. So let's read Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a live voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. There will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Then he says, This he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. No, no, no. We, we need to stop because we're getting all hallelujah up in here, and I appreciate that. But it says, "For the old order of things has passed away." Second Corinthians five seventeen tells us that I am a new, I am a new. So this born again experience that is available to us all, that some of you in this room by conversion and asking Christ to come into your life as you have confessed your sin, there is this old order of things being removed and a new way coming into being. So my question is, if you are born again, why are you still doing old things? You, you, you didn't come to hear that, did you? You, you, didn't, you didn't come to hear that one. So, so, so being mindful of something because there's this Greek word, and it's this word here. It's called palingenesia. I know, you didn't come here to learn Greek, but I'm going to educate you guys for sure, okay? Now, this word genesis, is where we get Genesis from, and it talks about beginning. Everybody tracking? The word palindrome, the only thing that I could come up with was a palindrome. And you know what a palindrome is? A palindrome is a word that if you read from right to left, reads the same. Here's an example of one. Race car. You read it from left to right, it's race car. You read it from right to left, it's race car. There's a bunch of words like that. Now you know. You can walk out of here and pass the test. All right? So there are a bunch of words like that. You, you, you think, you know, word like mom, word like dad, right? We also have numbers and dates that are palindromes. This word is that because this word means beginning and palin means again. Okay? Everybody see that? New beginning again. So this whole, this is the translation for this conversation that he's having. When he says you must be born again, the Greek is you must be palingenesia. And he goes on to say this because it's important for us to understand, guys, why would you be, why would you come to Christ, accept him as your savior for your sin, understand that the slate has been cleared, right? Whatever you've done up until that moment, you've been forgiven. Now, I want you to remind you that the wreckage of your past and the consequences are still evident, but now you're not going to go through it, right, on your own. You're going to go through it with God. Through the Holy Spirit and obedience to his word. So before you came to Christ, you had troubled relationships, right? Children awayward, wayward, husbands, whatever it is, right? Mothers, you know, daughter kind of stuff. Now in Christ, he's talking to you about forgiveness. Everybody following? Again, prior to that born-again moment in which the slate has been cleared, you're now born again, God is going to teach you through his word and lead you by his spirit that forgiveness has to be a part of your life because in the past you had issues with relationship because you refused to forgive. And at that born-again moment, he forgave you and now he's saying, as you walk with me, learn how to forgive. Prior to that born-again moment, now what happens? I said it earlier. How can you be born again and not forgive? People say, I'm in a process. (laughs) You're in a process. (laughs) You're in the process of driving me crazy because you're not getting it. So so now he goes through this thing and he talks about this whole idea. Okay, so there's this, 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 this place that it's leading to. Now, if you think about our own lives, you know, and you put it on this timeline, I was born, something happened that messed me up, but there's this redemption opportunity. There is this moment where I come to Christ and realize that my life isn't lost, that I don't have to continue to live that way. Come on now. I don't have to continue to use, I don't have to continue to act this way. Why? Because it hasn't yielded the results that I wanted. I'm alone. No, literally, no one wants anything to do with you. And that's the direct result of your fall. You have picked up some habits, some defects, right? You, you've acted out in a way that has alienated people. Listen to me. I don't want to be around you. So there's this fall that happened, but then there's this redemption. I hear this word, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. I get invited someplace, and I listen to the gospel, and I say, wait a minute. The gospel is that I am worse than I think but more loved than I can imagine. So therefore, there is a place where I can come. I can throw myself on my knees and on my face and cry out to God and say, God, please help me. God doesn't sit there and go, "Mm, I don't know if I want to help you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're a pretty bad boy. (laughs) God doesn't do that. He looks at my heart. Listen to me, because this is vital about your conversion. This is vital about what you believe. That's why in a conversation I have with you, I know if you're saved or not. You say, how can you know what's in my heart? I mean, because watch. Once you're redeemed, everything's made new. You say, oh, I'm a work in progress. No, you're not. You're not working. You're lying. You're lying. You, you can't be in recovery and not make a meeting. You can't be in recovery and not have a sponsor. You can't be in recovery and not do step work. You can't be in recovery and not do service. Like, you just can't. It's an oxymoron. And if you're a Christian, then you have to understand, okay, pastor, but I don't know how to do this. Great. I'm glad that you're saying this. Enter into a Bible study. Enter into a discipleship. Show up to church, not with your arms crossed, but with a Bible open, something to write with, something to write And Take my number. I will help you through this process. Why? Because somebody helped me 30 years ago. Somebody, but, but let me tell you what I was. I was willing. I was tired. I was done. When I came to this place, I wasn't looking for another thing. I was looking for the way, the truth, and the life. That's what I was looking for. So this whole idea that my life is marching to an end, that's not true. In Christ, it's not marching to an end. On the contrary, it talks about eternal life. It talks about I'm going to live forever and while this body is, is corruptible and this body is decaying and when I get stretched out, let me tell you something. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I am rejoicing to know that this eternal life question is answered for me. Yes. It's answered for me in Christ. But you have to understand because I'm talking about where it comes from. This whole redemption, this born again comes from the future. What God has promised to do in Revelation, he does in you the minute you say yes to him. It says this in verse 5, in Revelation 21, verse 5, it says, he who was seated on the throne said this, I am making everything new. I'm going to say that again. I am making everything new. He's not saying I will. He says I am. It's happening now. It's current. So what he's going to do with the earth, what he's going to do with the world collectively, he does at this moment of redemption in you when your conversion is sincere, when you've gotten to a point where you're done. Guys, don't use Jesus as an ingredient for your life. (laughs) It it can't be Jesus and something else. (laughs) The flavor's not going to be right. You got to be mindful that Christ has to be sufficient for you. And you're saying, I don't know how to do that, Pastor. You know what? I, you know, I didn't either. But I realized and somebody used this real powerful word. He says, you have to surrender. Yes. He <laughs> says, what do you mean? Throw your hands up, bro. Throw your hands up and just surrender. He so I don't understand what that means. He says, listen, whatever you think you want to do, give it up. Your life no longer belongs to you. When they said me, I said, what are you talking about? I got plans, bro. He says, nah, that, you're making God laugh right now. Because your ways are not his way. Your, your plans are not his plans for you. When you said yes to him, now you become a vessel that he uses for his glory and his honor. You don't believe me? Let's go to Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read from Titus. Titus. Are we okay? Right? Okay. You let me know. Okay. It says this. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. A lot of us have authority issues. Right? Not in this church. Not in this church. Not in this church. <laughs> Here we're very submissive. Right? Wow. Okay. He says to be obedient. To be, re- to be ready to do whatever is. Come on, all of us. To do whatever is. It's good, right? So, so, so he's saying this. He says, it says to slander no one. You know what that is? It's what you do when you talk about somebody and they're not in the room. Ouch. <laughs> it, it's what you do when, right, right? Because you're, you're going after somebody's character and they can't defend it. All right? So I am going to encourage you. I'm going to bless you today. When someone rolls up on you and stalks that, stop them in their tracks. And if it's about me, call me, please. Because I want to hear what they got to say. Right? Okay, it's important. Listen to me. You know what kills churches? Gossip and murmuring and slandering. You're talking about somebody else. You're being concerned about what this person is doing and that person is doing. And if I learned anything, when I walked into that room, that's the fellowship hall when most of our meetings happen, they told me to keep the focus on me. That's what they taught me. Is that right? Okay? Why? Because I can't fix you. Right? And I got 99 problems and you can't be another one. (laughs) You just can't. Just can't. So he goes on and says he says this, watch. He says don't slander anyone. Be peaceable and considerate. Always be gentle towards everyone. Why? Watch this. Because at one time we were foolish. We were disobedient. We deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's our history, isn't it? Right? That they were so deficient that it's easy for us to hate someone else. For no apparent reason except because they look different. He goes on and says, but when the kindness, listen to me, oh man. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing, watch this word, because it's palanage is here, the washing of rebirth and renewal by who? Ooh. Look what he says. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. For what purpose? So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. He says, I want to stress these things. He moves on down. So that those who have trusted in God, those who have trusted in God, those who have trusted in God, I don't know about you, but I'm trusting in God. I got nothing else to trust in. He says, those who are trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. I got to stop here. I'm not finished, but I got to stop. It's important for us to understand this as we begin to leave this place, as the worship team makes their way, please. Please. I want us to understand something that this opportunity of a new life, and that's what I mean by this conversation still transcending today. We hear things like, you know, you need a second chance. We establish rehabilitation places, right? Uh, uh, we we've put things in place to give people another opportunity. And what God is saying to us in this moment of redemption, He's saying, "I've paid the price." I know, listen to me, I am not naive or standing up here to think that I was not guilty. I was. Everything I did could be put on me. There are fingerprints, there are photos, There's, there's enough evidence of what I did. And I stand before being ready to be convicted and sentenced And out comes this knotty hair, fair skin, no pockets, no money, sandal looking guy, no formal education, and he steps in and he says, I'm here to take his place. I don't know him from a hole in the wall, but he knows me. He knows my past, my present, and my future. He hasn't come to do what he wants to do because we see that there was a moment where he says, if you could take this cup from me. Is there another way that somehow we can help this young man? But he says, not my will, but your will be done. I'm talking about Jesus. He, he steps into that place, and, and despite me saying, hey, I'm guilty, he says, shut up. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to pay the price for all that you've done. That moment Jesus steps into this world and does that for all of us. And what was impossible for man is possible for God. Jesus pays the price. Guys, he doesn't go into his pocket and pulls out a couple of bills. There's not silver and gold that he uses. What he uses is his blood. If you haven't seen The Passion, please see it. I stood there years, years ago when it was first put out and had a chance to listen to Mel Gibson talk about the, the movie and stuff like that. And, and, and I sat there in a room full of pastors and I looked to the left or right of me and pastors were crying. And I was there watching him be whipped on the screen and it became a visual picture for me because we read it and we're so detached from it. He wasn't whipped with a belt. He wasn't whipped with a switch. You know what the switch is, right? No electrical cord. He was whipped with this whip that at the end of it had these flesh rippers. He did that for you. So you come to a place where you accept his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, and he gives you this opportunity to be redeemed, to be born again. Why in the world After all that, would you go back to living your old life? This place of selfishness and self-righteousness where it's all about you, an attitude that stinks. Like, Like, why would you go back to that? He's taking care of that. So this new birth, this renewal, this opportunity to live a new life, an abundant life, is a direct result of this conversation. Jesus clearly say, you must be born again. You must be born again. This whole idea of the kingdom of God is not something out there, guys. I don't want you to think, oh man, my ticket is punched. I have eternal life. Hallelujah. But you know you could be heavenly bound and no earthly good. You could do that by just punching in checking in, checking out, doing the bare minimum and expecting the maximum result. That's the sowing and reaping I said earlier. So be mindful that this moment that's been ripped through history and brought to us is an opportunity for you to live a new life. It's work. It's not work for salvation, but it's work. Like this whole idea of being quick, to so listen, and slow to speak. A lot of us need to get a T-shirt that says that. And some duct tape to live it out. It's scary because the scripture says that what comes out of our mouth, it's in here. Amen. And that's why, like the psalmist, I'm always asking God, God, purge my heart. If there's anything in it that offends you, Please remove it. Please remove it. So I encourage you to realize that this born-again experience is not something that's far-reaching. It's right here. There's a prayer that says, right, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So that picture of heaven, we want it now. We want it here. And in redemption, what he planned to do at the very end, he's doing right now in your life when you say yes to Jesus. Stop it. You're not in the process. If you're not better today than you were yesterday, you're not in the process. You're you're practicing with the Greeks. You're going around in a circle. And life is not meant to be lived in circles. It's linear. It's constantly moving toward something. God is so good. He's so awesome. I'm so grateful that you all are here, I hope. I haven't bored you. It's important for us to understand that this new birth indicates something for us. He is making everything new. There is this name, there is a name that's above all names. And it's the name of Jesus. 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 I'm not crazy, although some will say I am. I'm no longer lost, and I'm no longer blind. Because of Jesus Christ, I now see. I now experience life in a very different and profound way. Everything affects me. Based on this conversation, I know why. Because I am a new creation.